Hello and welcome to Eldritch Girl Weird Gothic Stuff and Nonsense with me, C.M. Rosens. We're going to be continuing the serialisation of my first published novel, The Crows. Content warnings are to follow. The theme tune is by Gemma Cartmill. The illustrations in the books are by Tom Brown. You can buy the books either direct from me from my Kofi shop, uh, or you can buy them from any ebook online retailer and the paperback currently from Amazon only. If you do want to buy me a coffee instead of buying the book, you can do that via my Kofi, which is www.kofi.com, so that's ko-fi.com forward slash cmrosens. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. Okay, so um, this chapter, chapter six, is incredibly long, so I've split it into two sections, hopefully at a logical place. Part one is this week, part two will be next week, um, and I'll just reprise a few seconds of the um, the end of part one, just to orientate ourselves to go back into part two. Um, so content warnings for part one include uh, your usual um, monster horror type stuff. There's going to be some gore and violence, um, references to being buried alive, um, and a bit of claustrophobia. Um, so that's coming up. Chapter six, be careful what you wish for, in which Ricky Porter introduces himself and Carrie finds the priest hole. 20th of April, afternoon, evening. Carrie decided to check the garden when Skye had reluctantly left, taking a hammer from her toolbox with her. There was nothing her inexperienced city eyes could see, no footprints or cigarette ends that might denote miscreants on her property, but all the same she wasn't entirely satisfied. Walking around the garden gave her a strange, isolated feeling that she never got from the inside. She skirted the wall of local stone that was twice as tall as she was, touching the smooth metal hammerhead for comfort. Birds whistled out of sight. Mud crept up her shoes and splashed onto her ankles, cold and wet. Fairwood watched her, protective. Carrie felt safer knowing the house was keeping a lookout. That made no sense, so she put it aside and shrugged off the unease. Further along, the wall crumbled and ended. A thin wire stretched from one heap of stones to the corner of the broken back wall, marking the boundary but easy enough to duck under, and no real deterrent. She squelched back onto the thin gravel path and headed towards the wishing well in the far corner, overshrouded by the crowding trees. The weather was changing again, another light drizzle dampening the ground. Carrie perched on the edge of the well, wondering how you got spray paint off old stone. In her peripheral vision, the chase was silent, green and brown with a glimmer of grey. The grey moved. She jumped up, a shiver racing down her back, the stone scraping the backs of her legs through her jeans. Someone was standing on the other side of the wire, face lost in the shadow of their hood, watching her in the gloom. Fear prickled over the nape of her neck. The figure waved. Watch your neighbour. It was a man's voice, gruff but young. Carrie stood perfectly still, trying to make him out. His hood was on her eyeline, she guessed. He couldn't be taller than her. He wasn't much wider than her either. Not the markers of what she considered a threat. Phil's height, Phil's build, embedded in her brain. But she knew better than to underestimate people. 
In her experience, lads dressed like that moved in packs, but he seemed to be alone. This is private land, she backed off a few steps, running nervous fingers over her gold chain. This isn't, the man said with a cocky sneer. She tensed to run, but he didn't move. It's all right, love, he called across to her, face still impossible to see. I ain't after you. It was hard to tell if he was mimicking her accent on purpose or if he had a more Londonized version of the local one. What are you after? Just out for a wander? He nodded at the well. Drop some money there. Carrie slapped her hand to her pocket, the hammer a reassuring weight. She hadn't had any money in her jeans, she was sure. Almost sure. She turned. A five-pound note fluttered on the stone, but before she could make a grab for it, it sailed into the well and disappeared. Fuck! An actual fiver. Carrie felt sick. Hope you didn't need that, he said. Carrie rounded on him, remembering the flash of grey she'd glimpsed in the trees. Are you stalking me? Hardly, love. I live here. Carrie kept a distance and took a wild guess, putting two and two together. Are you... Ha! Um, sorry, are you Ricky Porter? The mystery man took his hands out of his pockets, treating Carrie to the glint of gold signet rings on all his fingers and the curl of a tattoo spiralling up under his sleeve as he stretched. Yeah, that's me. If you couldn't afford to lose that cash, I'd make a wish if I were you. So it ain't wasted. She snorted. A wish? Yeah, go on. You're serious, aren't you? Ricky shrugged. I'm a serious man, me. He took a step back, praising the house behind her. They did a good job on her, didn't they? Nice to see the old girl looking smart. There was a catch in his voice, and he cleared his throat as if caught out, the cockiness turning shy. We're neighbours, you know that? I live right there. He pointed behind him. Bramble Cottage, he added. That's us. Carrie's eyebrows shot up. Should have introduced yourself before, she said, keeping one hand on the hammer. I had tea with your grandmother yesterday. That's brave. Ricky Porter rocked back on his heels. She caught a brief glimpse of a stubbled, angular chin, and then his head dipped down again to shadow. Did you see who scrawled all over my bloody porch? He shook his head. No, but they ain't gone. I'd get back inside if I were you. Good time for the flitter mice, this. The what? The bats. Bloody big uns. He pointed up to the trees, but Carrie couldn't see anything. They got rabies. Carrie looked around, but there was nothing to see. The garden was quiet in the drizzle, but it was always quiet. Well, thanks for the neighbourly concern. He nodded, missing the sarcasm. We got to watch out for each other out here. Who'd you run to in the night? No one else for miles. That was true. She rubbed the top of the hammer. Cheery, thanks for that. He half turned and jerked his head. Follow the track through the trees. I keep a light on. You'll find us if you need us. Carrie realised she hadn't introduced herself properly. I'm Caroline, by the way. Yeah, I know. He turned to go. Be seeing you, Mistress Rickard. Her surname sent a chill through her, but she reasoned his grandmother must have told him. He wandered off down a well-trodden track into the trees. She was left staring after him, wire biting into her hands as she leaned against the fence. Shaking her head, she turned back to the well to see if she could rescue the precious five-pound note. The well was dark and deep, the note floating in the gunge near the bottom. She licked the light, mizzling droplets from her lips 
and placed a tentative hand on the damp stone. The note folded up as she watched, as if someone had reached through the ooze and pinched it in the middle, drawing it below the surface. There was a slow ripple as the money disappeared. Shit! It really wasn't her day. Fine. She slapped her palm against a damp slab. She hadn't made a wish since she was little. Wishes didn't work. Throwing pennies into wells and blowing out birthday candles in one big breath had not kept her parents together, nor stopped the rows, nor prevented her mum from moving in with Reg from Peckham. Not even prayer had done that, because sometimes you just didn't get what you wanted. I wish... I don't know, I wish my dreams had come true. How about that? Nothing replied. Carrie stared into the silent well, wondering where she could find a long-handled net. From the trees behind her, something fluttered from one branch to another. Carrie jumped at the sound of its wings, trying to catch a proper glimpse of it. Her creepy neighbour was probably pulling her leg, and it was just a crow. She hadn't seen a bat in the wild before. Foxes, yes, but only the urban kind. Meeting a rabid bat would be just her luck today. The weather was worsening, bigger drops splashing cold and wet down the back of her neck and dribbling through her hair. She dashed back across the lawn and let herself into the kitchen, the warmest and most comforting room in the house. It took her a few minutes to calm down, and then, convincing herself she was safe inside with all the doors locked, she returned to the living room with a book. It was a first edition, written by Harry Bishop, Guy's father. According to the introduction, the house had stood empty since 1979. Goodness knows how many kids had broken in over the years, stealing a little bit of the house each time. Who knew where all the pieces had ended up? She was willing to bet her neighbour, Ricky, had nicked something. Latent prejudice and past experience convinced her he'd be one of the first to strip it for whatever he could sell. He wasn't in his grandmother's good books, that was for sure. With the history of Fairwood House in her hands, she felt the pieces returning. In the black and white print and glossy photographs, the renovated estate became more alive, as if she was restoring the soul of the house. She had a strange urge to read it out loud. One paragraph in particular caught her attention. Sir Peter Sauvant, died 1892, was the leader of an occult group who called themselves the Eleusinians, after the ancient rites performed each year in ancient Greece by the devotees of Demeter and Persephone, based at Eleusis. Such an agrarian cult suited the surroundings of the East Sussex coast, but the name was a pretty deceit, and had less to do with the harvest as it did with tampering with things men ought to leave alone. As far as this author can tell, it is from the activities of the Eleusinians and their own enacted mysteries that the curious local phrase, don't plant what you don't want to grow, originates. Although this appears to be nothing more than agrarian wisdom, folk legend has it that during the time of Sir Peter and the Eleusinians, the soil around the town, situated in the South Downs below the clay of the Weald, became increasingly, some might say aggressively, fertile. She flipped to the colour plate of Sir John Douglas Sauvant, a direct descendant of Sir Peter and the last baronet, square-jawed and stern. You attract all the good-looking blokes, don't you? she remarked dryly to the house. Carrie read aloud to herself in the listening room until her throat dried out and her voice cracked and it was time to put the kettle on. She had never felt more at home, nor had the empty old place seemed more alive. It was as if the crows had woken up, a yawning, sleeping beauty from its bed of weeds, and she was its prince charming. 
except some coward with a mysterious grudge didn't want her administering that kiss of life. As she stood and stretched, something small bounced off the window behind her. Carrie spun around, but the night had drawn in, and the glass only showed her own reflection. A big moth, maybe, attracted to the light? Swallowing, she went to draw the curtains. There was a movement out on the lawn. Carrie froze, trying to see what it had been, but there wasn't anything to see. As she squinted, a tiny pebble flew from nowhere and hit the pane again. Carrie leapt backwards and collided painfully with a packing box. Someone was messing about and it wasn't bloody funny. Not Phil, this wasn't his style. The figure on the clifftop resurfaced in her mind and a chill shot down her back. Someone was trying to freak her out. The culprit with the spray paint, most likely. Or her creepy neighbour. She grabbed her phone, wondering how fast the police might get there on a Friday night. She couldn't remember the hump of grass about ten feet away from the window on the edge of the gravel drive. Carrie gripped the curtains, about to draw them properly, when she realised there had never been a hump of grass there. Not that big. She froze, staring. Two amber points stared back in the dark. Carrie swallowed. That's a bloody big dog. It reared up on its hind legs in one fluid movement, long-limbed and enormous. Rabid fangs leered out of the darkened garden. Carrie stumbled backwards, kicking boxes out of her way and huge paws slammed against the window at head height, making the whole frame shake. She tripped over her own feet with a yelp and nearly fell, heart pounding in her ears. Call 999, part of her brain told her, but the rest of it had shut down. She tried to focus on the screen and getting to the door at the same time, but the door was her first priority. As she made it out of the room, something smashed through the window in an explosion of glass. Carrie slammed the door shut and jabbed at the screen in a blind panic, ringing a completely random number. A deep snarl from the living room paralysed her with fear. All she could think about, bizarrely, was that she had left Guy's book on the sofa. Hello? Mercy? She recognised the voice and her heart dropped like a stone. Not emergency services then. How the hell had she called her supervisor? What the hell was wrong with her damn phone? Something thudded towards the door with a smash and a crunch, and then there was silence. Carrie backed off along the hall, breathless and cupping her shaking hand over her mouth as she whispered into the phone. Mercy? Shit, shit, shit. Carrie? Oh, God. It scratched at the closed door, dragging claws down the wood. Carrie's throat constricted as as she backed away as silently as she could, fumbling down the panelled hall. Carrie, are you okay? She forced herself to answer, voice coming out in a scratchy whisper. It's in the house. Shh, it's in the house. It's it's a dog or I I don't know, but it's bloody huge and it's, it's broken the window. Oh my God, it's in the house. The living room doorknob rattled and Carrie stood frozen, every muscle rigid. There was silence. All Carrie heard was the ticking of the rescued grandfather clock counting down. It doesn't work. Carrie remembered. How can it be ticking? She lowered the phone, eyes watering, and forced herself to look over her shoulder. The gold pendulum was swinging side to side. Tick. 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 The time was still wrong. Two minutes to midnight. A shiver crawled down her back.
A heavy weight hurled itself against the living room door, the shivering wood bowing and splintering outwards with the impact. Carrie threw herself backwards against the panelling with an instinct that wasn't hers. Something clicked behind her in the wall. The panel slid sideways under her weight. Carrie pitched back through empty space and the panel closed up as she stumbled into a narrow cavity in the wall, coffin deep, plunging her into darkness. She gagged on dust, half choking. Outside, wood splintered. There was a low growl from the hall, muffled through the thick panels. She squeezed her phone so tightly she was sure she'd crack the screen. The signal had gone. The call was dead. There was another thud and the sound of scraping, something long and sharp being dragged across the panels in the hall. Something sniffed along the floor, snuffling outside her hiding place, inches from her feet. You're in the priest hole. Carrie knew that thought wasn't her own. It sounded like her voice, but it wasn't. The susurrus suggestion was made all around her from the wood itself. She couldn't think. Something scraped vertically up the wood, lining up with her rigid body from her feet to her throat. It knew where she was. Step right. Carrie could feel the solid wood to her right and there was nowhere to go. She slid her foot sideways and stumbled as the floor dropped away. What the hell? The smuggler's tunnel, Carrie. The panel pounded inches from her face. A tiny burst of light came through as a claw punctured the oak. Shit! She dropped down the hole, feet finding rusty iron loops set at intervals like a ladder, or perhaps they found her feet, it was hard to tell. Wriggling her way down the narrow shaft into the greedy darkness, Carrie's eyes burned with dust as a trapdoor slammed shut above her head. Her hand struck something metal and cold on the way down, knocking it off its hook and sending it smashing to the ground a few feet below. When she hit the floor of the tunnel, she remembered too late the tales of old Seamus McVeigh, buried alive. Move! That came from above her this time. Carrie groped for whatever she had dropped and scooped up something cold, cuboid and squat, which imagination told her could be almost anything, but common sense suggested was a lantern. Any oil or candle it had once contained was gone. She tried her phone, but there was no flashlight app, and the screen light was faint and weak against the pressing blackness. It was still better than nothing. Above her, there was a muffled crunching sound and a yelp. The beast banged against constricting walls. A howl shivered into the tunnel, cut off by an angry wooden creak. Carrie stumbled further back into the dark, tripping over loose stones. She found the tunnel wall dry and dusty and shored up with old brick. This is mad, she whispered to herself, groping her way along as fast as she could. This is mad. This isn't... This isn't happening. Something dropped into the tunnel behind her with a sickening thud, claws clanging on the metal rungs on the way down. Carrie switched her phone off and buried it in her pocket. She didn't want it to see her. She closed her eyes to readjust to total darkness, not that it made much difference, and listened, everything on high alert. Dead, surely. It's dead, right? Something scraped against the floor at the end of the tunnel. It was still moving. Carrie forced herself to think. Screwing her courage tighter by a few turns, she grasped the lantern ring like a kettlebell, swinging it experimentally. McVeigh had met his death in this tunnel, and that meant the cave-in was somewhere along its length. If there was a cave-in, she was trapped down here, and the only way back up was past the thing that had fallen down after her. Quivering, she softened her knees, bracing for impact from the thing she couldn't see. 
A light flared behind her, dim orange glow dazzling as it cut through the total blackness. It picked out a dark, hairy, human-limbed mass at the end of the tunnel, finding its feet. Watch your neighbour. In trouble already? Carrie spun around to find her hooded neighbour with an old wind-up torch. Suspiciously, he didn't sound in the least surprised. Drop that. It won't do any good. He grabbed her roughly by the arm. Come on, he said, dragging her after him. Quick, before she turns back properly. Turns into shift. Ricky dug soil-packed nails into her arm, tight as a poacher's trap, dragging her behind him. Carrie couldn't breathe. Sprinting around a rockfall down a narrow, cleared stretch, forming the remaining fork in the passage, they came to another shaft near a pile of rubble. Up, Ricky ordered, pushing her in front of him. Adrenaline gave Carrie speed. She broke into the sharp night air, hauling herself up and into the woods. Ricky threw the torch up and was right behind her as something scrabbled at the rungs of the old shaft behind them. They were never going to outrun it. Carrie's legs worked like pistons, forcing her on, but she wasn't fast enough. Behind her, she could hear something big bounding over the grass and crashing into the undergrowth. It was powerful, and it was gaining. She could see Bramble Cottage in the trees up ahead, one flickering candle flame in the upper window like a guiding beacon. She crossed a line of white beech pebbles, scattered over the ground, and nearly reached the low stone wall when Ricky caught her round the waist and threw her to the ground. Carrie gasped, her phone flying out of her pocket, and with it the small piece of tile from the crows. Foul-smelling fabric pressed against her mouth as he held her down. Shut up, he hissed into her ear, breath reeking of bad fish. Carrie gagged, not a sound. The thing on their trail howled again, right behind them, and Ricky's hood came down. Carrie wasn't sure what she saw. He clamped a hand over her eyes, but between the cracks in his fingers, she saw black coils rising above them like eels, writhing in the night air. Silver glinted in the darkness. The howl turned into a piercing shriek. Carrie pushed Ricky off and rolled to the dry stone wall and out of the way as Janet Varney tumbled in a heap on the ground, blood pouring from her open throat. The eyes turned from amber to brown. The jaw began to pull back into the skull. The teeth, no fangs, remained the same. Mrs Varney's slack mouth was filled with razor-sharp incisors. Her tongue lolled out of the side of her mouth and Carrie thought of Branston. It was such a stupid thought, and the contrast of normalcy versus this made her double up with a sudden wave of nausea. She staggered blindly to her feet, retching, but her stomach was empty. Oh my God! Carrie! She recognised the new voice, even though she had never heard it before. It resonated deep within her, the sonorous ring of a pipe being struck, and the dryness of a creaking floorboard. Carrie couldn't move. Her words dried up before they reached her tongue. Inexplicably, she could hear Grandpa Jim goggling at him in her head. Bloody hell, Caro, he's built like a brick shithouse. The stranger standing before them was enormous. He towered over her, wide shoulders, broad chest, a sword sticking out of his sleeve and glinting silver sharp as it changed in the pale moonlight. The tip of the blade, dripping blood that was almost black in the dark, flattened into a palm. Long fingers unfurled. It was her imagination. It was just a hand, an arm. There was nothing silver about it but the blood. The blood dripped onto the grass and there was a dead woman on the ground. Her brain tried to process what it had seen but failed. She looked back up at his face. 
Something wasn't right. He's covered in tattoos? But that wasn't it. No, she corrected herself dreamily, a fuzzy vice around her forehead. He's engraved. Deep, livid sores ate into the skin, etched across his cheeks in raw, indented teardrops, cutting down into his neck with pale forks of scar tissue. It was as if something had gouged chunks of his flesh away, dug out the fibres for sport. Who are you? she heard herself whisper. The apparition stared at her. Fairwood, of course. She stared at him, taking in the deep gouges. The ones on his forearms had perfect corners, chiselled in wide lines like the steps of a staircase. They should have gone all the way down to the bone, but Carrie had the oddest feeling he didn't have any. Beneath the white shirt, the triangle of torso on display was stippled and rough like the surface of brick tiles and natural slate, colours mottling and hard to see in the dark. She looked back up at his scarred face, where his eyes, bright, alive and clear as water, stared patiently into her soul like window panes. In the corner of one iris, a jagged cobweb of blood vessels had burst like smashed glass. You're... Fairwood. The man looked back through the trees in the direction of the house, a faraway glaze in his brilliant grey eyes. Yes, 